the story that Mark tells, he's not a great storyteller typically. He just kind of like gets to the point and moves on. But in this one, he slows it down a little bit, like to the point where he even tells us what the woman who has been bleeding basically since she hit puberty, like what she's thinking. He doesn't do that often. This woman is part of a giant crowd of people. Like, it's not a hard story to imagine. It's not hard to picture Jesus coming across on a boat and pulling into, like, the port, essentially. It's a lake. It's not like a giant sea. So they saw them coming. I don't know if they were rowing or if there was a small sail on the boat helping them. But they're pulling in probably where Peter and Andrew had been fishermen before. It's a place that's known to them. They, they pull their boat in. They jump out and tie it off. There are fish hanging and fishermen cleaning fish and probably cats scurrying around trying to find scraps to eat. There's probably a very visceral smell. Sweaty men. Women trying to do some work to make some extra money. The cleaning of nets is happening and they see Jesus approaching. So the crowds start to gather around. They had heard about this guy, the things he had been doing, the healings that had been taking place, the preaching he had been doing, the way he lived his life and the way his disciples lived their lives. They had heard all about this. Somehow, somebody from the synagogue had gotten word to Jairus and Jairus' wife, who is unnamed, unfortunately, in the scriptures, that Jesus was coming And so Jairus, who's a leader in the synagogue, runs with other people to the crowd. And as Jesus gets out of the boat and starts walking, the crowds swarm around him. It's not hard to imagine being part of that crowd. It's not hard to imagine being one of Jesus' disciples in that moment because we've all been in crowds like that where you're kind of having to do, do this walk. Excuse me, pardon me, pardon me, excuse me. And then maybe, maybe have you ever had the experience of like holding on to someone's hand, like a little person's hand as you're going through a crowd like that, and you're just like gripping so tight because you're afraid you're going to lose them? When I was, uh, I don't know, like second grade, third grade, second grade probably, my family took us to, my mom and dad took my brother and I to Disneyland and, uh. My brother and I look a lot alike now. If you ever are at Target or somewhere and you see me and I don't say hi, it's him, not me. <laughs> and um, we, my mom and dad fortunately dressed us the same on this particular day. We could have likely passed as twins. And my dad and my brother left to go to the restroom and I was delayed and slow as typical and decided to go afterwards and I lost them. I couldn't find them. And my parents had said, hey, if you get lost, find somebody who works there and tell them you're lost. You know, it was the 80s, like we weren't as afraid of kidnapping, I guess. And so find someone who works there and tell them you're lost and they'll help you. And so I went and found this person and he like stood up and he saw my brother who looked like me and was dressed like me and helped me get back to my parents. But I can only imagine the fear that they had because of the fear that I had. And now that I'm a parent, it's even easier to understand. But those crowds like that are scary. Especially when you're holding on to something precious. Afraid that you're going to lose it. And part of the crowd was a woman who had been hemorrhaging, from the, the, that's the scriptural term, hemorrhaging from the time that she hit puberty. 
which meant a few things for her. One, it was very unlikely that she could get pregnant, which meant that nobody was going to want to marry her because the way that like people gained reputation and also gained money was by having children, and so she couldn't get pregnant, so she wasn't worth much to any man. And also, religiously, that meant that she was unclean, like couldn't be touched, shouldn't even be part of that crowd. And in the midst of her, like shuffling her way in the crowd, just trying to get touched to him, close to him, to touch him, hoping and praying that even touching him might do something to help her. Because if she admitted who she was and what was happening in her life, oh man, it, it would be like having full-on COVID-19 and sitting in this church and singing as loud as you could. They thought she was contagious and that whatever made her unclean would be spread to them. So she had to be sneaky about it. And in the midst of her sneakiness, Jairus, a powerful man, somehow makes his way through the crowd to Jesus and falls at Jesus' feet, probably kissing the ground in front of his feet, begging him, my daughter is dying, please help. Please help. There's so much happening in this story and it's just so visceral and easy to picture. But also so basic. Like the emotions in it, we can all easily hold on to and feel and understand and empathize with the woman and empathize with Jairus and his wife. Two things happen to just like break my heart and heal my heart almost simultaneously. The first is she gets close to him and she touches the hem of his garment and is healed. Now, I don't know how he felt, like what, what's that mean for power to leave his body? It's all kind of like uh, Marvel comic bookish to me and I don't know what to think about all of that. But somehow Jesus knows this happened and she feels the healing happening in her body and he wants to know who touched me. And the disciples are like, have you looked around? Everybody is touching you. There's no way to walk through this crowd without bumping into people. So just chill out a little bit, Jesus. But Jesus doesn't. He wants to know. And so the woman comes to him, falls in front of him, and the scripture says that she tells the whole truth. And he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. And I wonder what the faith was about. I wonder if her faith that healed her was the faith to approach him and touch him. And that that was what the real healing was. Or maybe it was her faith that if she told him the whole truth about who she was and what had happened, that he would still love her and accept her. Either way, this woman is to be commended. She is brave, and she is faithful, and she's out to take care of herself, and is taking energy in that feeds her soul, and I think rejecting things that don't feed her soul. What kind of faith would it take to fall down and say, look, here's my life story. 
and I shouldn't even be part of this crowd. But he accepts her and loves her anyway. So for me, what I want to learn from that story is two things. I want to be like that woman. I want to have that kind of faith, that kind of trust in in humanity and in God that I could say this is who I am and this is what I'm about and like my deepest, darkest secrets that are welled up within me that I could confess them to God and God would say like, hey, look, son, you're healed. You're healed. You're loved and you're accepted. And I want to be like Jesus in that scenario to where I don't hold grudges against people that people could trust that I'm going to love them and accept them regardless if they're Jairus, who's the powerful synagogue leader, or they're this woman who has been cast aside for 12 years of her life. That all people can come to us as followers of Jesus, knowing that we're going to love them and accept them, regardless of what's happening in their lives and the mistakes that they've made. So that all happens part one of the story, and part two just crushes me. This whole thing is taking place, and then people from the synagogue come to Jairus, and they're like, Jairus, your daughter died. Just leave him alone. And Jesus overhears this, and says, Don't be afraid, just have faith. So much easier said than done. I hope I never, ever in my life have to experience the kind of fear and grief that Jairus was experiencing in that moment when one of the people that he would hold so tight to going through the crowd is about to be lost forever. And Jesus says, don't be afraid, have faith. How in the world can you have faith in that situation? How can you just walk without fear into that room? So Jesus few of his disciples go to Jairus' house and he walks in and people are deep in their grief. They're crying, they're wailing, they're trying to console one another. And Jesus walks in and says, hey everybody, calm down, she's just asleep. And they laugh at him and he kicks them out of the house. Then he goes with the mom and the dad and two of his disciples into her room. I would imagine the Jairus seeing his daughter for the first time in that state falls to his knees. I can imagine that he's holding on to her. That he doesn't even have the strength to stand. Maybe he's kissing her forehead, anointing her with his tears. Resting his elbows on her mattress. Not knowing what to say or what to do. 
because the grief of the situation is just overwhelming. Jesus sits down on the side of the bed, grabs her hand, and says, young woman, get up. She gets up and he says to the mom and dad, go get her some cinnamon toast crunch. She's hungry. I think that's what Jesus says to us every day. Old man with arthritis in your hands, with aching knees, and creaking ankles, get up. Young woman with body piercings and tattoos covering your whole body, get up. Little girl, get up. Little boy, get up. Middle-aged, boring, basic, white dude, get up. Go. Live. The call to all of us is get up and live. Don't let the things of death drag us down. I think the whole story of Jesus is that. Don't let death or the fear of death slow you down. Don't let it be the fear of physical death or the fear of spiritual death. The story of Lazarus coming out of the cave, coming out of his sin, is get up and walk Take the death clothes off of him so he can get moving and live. This girl needs some help. Get her some food to eat so she can get up and live. And also, while you're at it, get off of your knees. Everything's going to be okay. Get moving. Death is a period at the end of a sentence. But Jesus is always turning that period into a comma. Saying there's something else. I promise you, I do not want to experience the grief that Jairus and his wife were experiencing. That is my worst nightmare. I watched Hamilton last night and I was like, my least favorite scene is the scene where the son dies. I, I want to skip that from now on. I don't want to watch that. I don't want to have to think about a child of mine dying, I just don't, I don't even think of it as a possibility. And so as I was reading this story, I was like, what? What is there? Where's the hope? Because this, like, does it happen? But what happens is life, get moving. Go. Stop living with fear and start living with faith. And it's easier said than done. Which is why we need a community of people to help us live in faith and not in fear. In the name of our creator, redeemer, and sustainer.